Welcome to the Antioch Community Church Podcast. We are a church located in the downtown Birmingham area where we desire to be with and like Jesus and help others do the same for the glory of God. We hope today's message encourages and challenges you. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if this is your first time joining us today, or if you just need a little reminder about where we're at, we are, uh, as you just heard, we're in uh, the book of Hebrews, um, and basically taking a chapter a week, and, um, you know, just this, this is a book that was written to, um, to a small house church in Italy uh, just a few decades after Christ had uh, been crucified and risen. And um, the, the, the small house church of Christians was facing increasing persecution, increasing pressure from outside. And, you know, they're, they're looking around at themselves and they're wondering, is this really worth it? Most of them had come out of Judaism and they're like, if I just go back into that, then what do I really have to lose? Because if I add the Jesus thing on here, then that potentially is going to, going to make me risk my life and if nothing else, at least risk my comfort and just general safety. And all throughout the book of Hebrews, the author has been encouraging them and encouraging us to keep pushing forward, to keep pressing on, to keep persevering, even when we feel like we're swimming upstream. Because that's largely how they felt. They were swimming upstream. They were the minority. Persecution was happening, and it was There was no signs of it cooling down. It's just going to keep happening. It's just going to get worse. And um, whether or not, you know, we're we're not in a persecuted country, right? But nonetheless, there there still are elements of that. Even Even in my own heart, regardless of any outside pressure, there can be times when I feel that sense of like, I just don't want to be swimming upstream. I just don't want, I mean, because what Jesus calls us to do is to, to come and die. And um, his 
way of uh, what he calls us to do is, is it doesn't line up with how we naturally think, what our flesh wants, how the world operates. And so um, it can be tempting to just want to just give up on Jesus and to just say, I'm, I might actually be better off without him. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments where, uh, where we do consider that. And so um, encouragement after encouragement after encouragement has just wave after wave has come in the book of Hebrews. And now we're looking at it from yet another angle, another angle of motivation to, to, not, to not let go, to not let go of the anchor that is Christ, who is our hope that keeps us firm in place, even through the the worst of of storms. And so we're looking in chapter 8 at verses 6 through 13. And what what we see here is almost this compare and contrast between the old operating system and the new operating system. The, The old OS and the new OS. The old covenant and the new covenant. Old, lesser promises and new, better promises. There's, um, I love Chipotle. And every time I go there, I don't know what is up with their app, but it always needs updating. And I can never get my points because I, by the time I get up there, I remember to open the app and then I look to go scan it. It doesn't do anything. And like, it's not going. And I look and I'm like, it says, you, you know, you can't use it until you update it. And like, by that point, it's too late. And so then... It, I guess they just keep updating it so that they just never have to give anyone points and never give away free food because I don't think I've ever gotten any free food from Chipotle. Now, Chick-fil-A, that's a different story. I feel like I just, it's all free, basically. There, um, It just constantly needs updating, right? The, 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 the app, this, the operating system in the background is they're, they're finding, you know, um, holes in the system where there's security issues or they're making, it, making improvements or whatever. And you have to update it to be able to keep using it. I think it's possible for us to have, it's all the same hardware, right? Basically, um, if you have an Android, iPhone, or what is, it might be a little different, but generally it's the same, right? And it's possible to have the same hardware and have two, and, and for you to have two different operating systems. For some of you to have, be operating in the old system, the old covenant, and we'll look at that, but then it's also possible to be here, to be doing these things, to, to follow Christ, and, and to actually be walking in and knowing the new system, the new operating system. And so uh, you, you see the old operating system. We're going to break it up into two sections, verses 6 through 9, and then we're going to look at the new operating system in verses 10 through 13. So I want to uh, just reread that, that section uh, that we're going to look at first, verses 6 through 9. It says this again, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. All right, so right there, just making note that he's about to start comparing and contrasting something old to something new. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, if it had been perfect, if it had been complete, if it had been enough, there would be no occasion to look for a second. 
For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, and this is a direct quote, almost word for word from Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament, many centuries before this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. So the old operating system. Um, the old operating system is, um, is marked by largely this. And I want us to, uh, well, if you look in verse 9, uh, because if you know much about the Old Testament, you know there's, there's different times that God makes covenants with people. And so, like, well, which one is he referring to? There's not just one old one. There's, there's a bunch of them in the Old Testament. So which one is he referring to? Well, it tells us right here in verse 9, um, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this specifically, this is, this is one specific covenant. And you find it in Exodus 19. I'm going to flip there, but you can, um, you'll be able to see it on the screen in Exodus 19. Now, um, a little bit of just kind of what had been going on here um, in Exodus 19 is this is right on the coattails of Israel having been enslaved in harsh slavery in Egypt uh, for many years. And God miraculously and graciously delivers them out of that slavery. He splits the Red Sea in half. They walk through dry to the other side and they begin their journey to the promised land. And... uh, In verse 4, it says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So they they were, this was the generation that had gotten delivered. These were the people who knew this deliverance, who knew the slavery, who knew what it was like to walk through the parted Red Sea and to be on the other side. They had been born on eagles' wings, Verse 5, now, there, now therefore, if, if you will indeed obey my voice, this is God talking to Israel, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for, uh, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So... Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Now, they are, this is right before the Ten Commandments. Um, This is after they've been delivered, right before the Ten Commandments. And God says, look, in verse uh, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, a covenant is Bible word that doesn't get used much, except for outside of marriage, right? Which I think is, is a, good, a, good, uh, a good picture of it. But a covenant is simply a relational contract. Something really common in this time where uh, two parties typically equal would make an agreement to, you know, share land or share resources or something like that. And God is taking that and he's, he's doing that with his people. Um, and as most covenants, 
did, there were conditions to them that they would, the covenant would be broken and thrown away if both sides didn't keep their end of the bargain. And so this, unlike some of the other covenants, this one is conditional. It is saying to Israel, and therefore to us as well, um, if you will indeed obey and keep my covenant. It's dependent on their obedience. It's dependent on their keeping of the covenant, which he is then going to, in uh, chapter 20 and onward, begin to lay that out, what that, what that looks like. Now, I want you to uh, look on the screen, or if you want to flip over to Exodus 32, to see how this goes. In Exodus 32, uh, beginning in chapter, or verse 15, says this, now, Okay, so Moses has been up on the mountain by himself. The Lord has been speaking to him about what to say to Israel. And he's said all the stuff and he's actually written, God, it says he's written with his finger on tablets of stone, uh, the Ten Commandments. The very finger of God, he's written them out. And then verse 15 of chapter 32. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noises of the people, and as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf, now, right before this, we, we see that Israel got tired of waiting on Moses to come down, even though they had said, whatever you ask us to do, we will do, before Moses could even come down and hear what it is that God wants them to do, they said, make for us a God. And so they took all their gold and they burned it and they made it into a cow, which is supposed to be humorous. It's supposed to show how silly this is. So, but Moses didn't know. So he's coming out and he says, he saw the calf uh, and the dancing. Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they made, and this is so savage, I love it, and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. <laughs> they don't tell you that part in kids' Sunday school. The law, which was the essence of the Old Covenant, if you obey me, if you do this, was no match for idolatry. It's no match for idolatry. Now, idolatry is, is not simply making a silly-looking statue and claiming it to be God and worshiping it, right? That is a picture of the bigger problem of our hearts, which is we, every single one of us, Christian or not, religious or not, wants to look to something to be our God, because we were created in the image of God. That is, a, that is something that no human cannot not do. And we will, we will ask anything to be our God, to satisfy us, to fulfill us, 
to meet our deepest needs. It could be a significant other. It could be a job. It could be money. It could be, you know, some substance. It could be anything. It could be a cow. I mean, we'll turn anything into an idol. Um, Tim Keller does a great job of, of just kind of explaining this phenomenon that we, uh, will, without even knowing it, have idols all in our hearts and all in our lives. What he talks about is, you know what, what your idols are when you think about if you were to lose that thing or if you were to lose that person or if you could never have that thing or if you could never have that person, that you would lose your will to live. That you would want to give up on your life if you couldn't have this. That's your God. That's your functional God. That's your functional Savior. And the law is no match for idolatry. As we talked about a few weeks ago, these, these rocks, these stone tablets, how they, they, they make terrible flotation devices, right? They don't, they don't do good at, at providing you hope. They make you sink. And this actually was their purpose, to, to show your desperate need um, for rescue. They also, st- rocks don't make good heart surgery tools. They don't make good scalpels. Anybody in here uh, in the medical field? Just any, any role you have in the medical field. All right. Can you imagine uh, a surgeon that you're working with trying to do heart surgery on someone with a couple of rocks that they picked up on the street? Yeah, I mean, it's just, we would, that's unthinkable, right? And that's, I, I think that's, you know, part of the principle. I mean, the, 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 the stone tablets of the law were necessary and they're good. And as Paul says in Romans, they're holy and just. But the law can only get you so far. The rules can only get you so far. They can only get you to the point where you see you're actually desperate. That actually you need help. That actually... You can't do this in and of yourself. Living, you know, living this way, and, and this is the thing, whether you're religious or irreligious, um, we all, outside of Christ, live under a law, right? We, we make some sort of standard, some sort of rule to justify ourselves, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, and to look down on others. Maybe it's not a religious thing. Maybe it's a, well, I'm inclusive, I'm open-minded, um, I'm accepting of everyone, and those that aren't there the ones that are condemned, right? We can take even good things um, and make them into a law unto ourselves um, and end up, getting, end up getting crushed by that. Um, when we live like this, having, you know, looking to the law to do for us what it can't do, rescue us, you end up really discouraged. You end up really weighed down. Or you either end up overly self-righteous because you feel like you are doing a good job. Um, but along with not the, the, the stone tablets not being good flotation devices, not being good surgical tools, um, they also make, stone tablets make bad pillows. They don't give you, it's hard to put your head on a rock and rest. Restlessness is a sign of, uh, of not really being fully connected to Christ. Because when we are united with him, um, he gives us peace. When we're resting him, if you, if you know Christ, but, but you're just, maybe you know, you've gone back into a little bit of law in your own, your own heart, your own mind, um, restlessness is a sign um, of that for sure. And I know that to be in my life um, as well. 
So the old operating system. We could nickname the old oper operating system OS Rocks. If you want to give it a name, OS Rocks is what, is what, uh, what we're going to call it. Graven stone, not enough. Now, that brings us, I want to go bring us back to Hebrews 8, to the new operating system, the new covenant, these better promises that are mentioned here for us. I want to reread this uh, section, verses 10 through 13. So right after it says, look, they, they didn't continue my covenant, and because of that, I showed them no concern. Now, that could be period, end of story. God didn't even have to make that first covenant with them, let alone re-up and come back to them after they had just really pushed him away and saying, look, we're, you can't satisfy my need. You can't be, you know, what I really need. You might be good for religious stuff, but I need money, sex, power to really give me what I need. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more." In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Right away, what I notice reading those, reading this new covenant passages, you see, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You don't see any if they. There's no if they. It's not, I will do this if they do this. It's simply, I will do this. Now, if you think about it, did God make a mistake in doing the first covenant? Was that like, did he, did he mess up there or what? I mean, if you think about it, what was really, if that's not the way that we're supposed to relate with God, see ourselves, see him, see the world, see everything, then, and really this is the way that it's supposed to be, then why would he even start with the, you know, the thing that was inferior and lesser um, and imperfect and had faults? Well, I think it's because if he hadn't started there, if he hadn't started with that voice of a law that says, look, unless you check this box, this box, and this box, then it's not going to work out, then we would find some way to convince ourselves that we weren't desperately in need of rescue. This is actually God's grace to us. The law is actually there, as Paul talks about Romans. It's like a tutor. It's like a guardian that leads you to Christ, that slices you open to do surgery on your heart, because ultimately that's what we need, is, is work on our hearts. Because my heart, outside of the grace of God, outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit, will only ever continue to want to justify myself and satisfy myself on my own terms and resist, you know, the, the humble crying out to the Lord that I need you. I desperately need you. 
There's a great, um, probably one of my absolute favorite hymns that I'd never heard until I went to, uh, went to seminary um, here at Beeson, uh, just on the road. And one of my professors, uh, this older guy who had this really awesome story, um, he like was, uh, was like a just alcoholic, but really sharp guy. He was a professor uh, of history in Colorado and has this really awesome like World War I museum in his basement. Just really interesting guy. Really like, like more energy in his mid-70s, um, kind of like Jack. Uh, than I will probably ever have. And he used to always do this thing where he would like, he would, you know, like half, like half the lectures, he'd always like run up to the, you know, get behind his, his, uh, his podium and get on the front row of desk and just, he would lay on it and say, you gotta get under the word. Just lay on this, you gotta, you gotta get under it. You can't get on top, you gotta, you gotta get under it. That was free. Um, one thing he would do is he would always have us sing, start the class with singing a song, singing a hymn. And one that I'd never heard, uh, but I, I just fell in love with in the class, and I'm not going to sing it to you guys. You're welcome. But I will recite it. It's called And Can It Be. This is what it says. Uh, this is uh, the fourth verse. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. I love that picture of being enchained in a cave, and God's grace breaking in like light, and that light breaking our chains, freeing our hearts, rising up and following him. This is, um, we could can, we can never rescue ourselves. God has to initiate that work in us, giving us a new heart, opening our hearts to him, breaking off our chains so that we can go after and follow him. Um. One of the things, along with the, the new covenant being unconditional, lacking conditions, which means it's unbreakable, you simply accept it by faith, just empty-handed faith, giving up on your own plans of proving yourself to God and to others and yourself and saying, I trust in Jesus, I trust in him alone. Um, this is also, it's, it's, these are better promises, not only because it's unconditional, but because it's internal. The new covenant is internal. It's not external. It's not written by God's finger on stones that as soon as Moses came down, he broke because just showing how um, inferior and powerless they ultimately are. Um, but it says that God writes his law on their hearts. That the presence of the Holy Spirit, what he does is he takes the heart of God. He takes the presence of Jesus, and he doesn't keep him out here. He puts him inside of us, right? And now there's still a battle, right? There's still a battle between our, our flesh, our old operating system, and the new presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's to be expected. That is part of working this out in our lives. 
But nonetheless, he, he takes that and he brings it inside to where no one has to tell you. I don't have to teach you. The Spirit is there testifying of the true character and person and finished work of Christ. And that's ultimately all that you need. But not only that, that there's actually power to then obey, right? Which is something I love about the picture of the new covenant versus the old. You just see powerlessness. You just see Israel's owned by their own idolatry. They're enchained to it. We're enchained to it. And here you see this power to actually, from the inside out, be changed and transformed and actually begin to see yourself grow slowly but surely. But then lastly, there's this better promise of total and full forgiveness. And you need to, you need to latch onto this in verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I don't know about you, but I do wrestle with promises. I don't know why. Um, but I wrestle, maybe it's just I'm naturally cynical. I'm like, I don't, don't want to put myself out there and end up getting hurt because you didn't. And we can do that with God. We can do the very same, with, same thing with God. I mean, what if, what if you actually just lived like all the promises of God were true? How would that change you? How would that shape you? If you, if you just, if you, laid down the, the cynicism, laid down the walls and just said, I'm just going to take a step of faith here and trust that this God who came down to earth as one of us stooped so low that he was born in a pig's trough in the middle of nowhere, was ultimately abandoned by everyone he knew and who loved him, was pushed out of the world and onto a cross, left to die. I think that's someone that we can trust. I think that's someone that you can trust, that when he makes a promise, it's not like a deadbeat dad. This is the exact opposite. I will be merciful toward your iniquities. I will remember your sins no more. That's two promises of hundreds that God tells us. What if you began going out on a limb and, and letting yourself believe that those things are true? What kind of strength would that give you? What kind of encouragement would that give you? What kind of, as we talked about a few weeks ago, what kind of buoyancy, what kind of hope would that give you? How might that motivate you um, to, to go out and sacrificially take the gospel to those around you, to those across the world. I mean, the law is not a very appealing message. It's not a very, that's not something I feel like putting on my back and taking and saying, hey, do you want in on this? Do these things or else you're going to die and be separated from God forever. If you don't live, check all these 613 boxes. But we have a message of hope that says, in spite of you, while you were yet enemies, Christ died for you. I will remember your sins no more. I will cast them into the deep. And he does this as a free gift of his grace because we've been shown we could never earn it no matter how hard we tried. Jesus actually really clarifies for us in Luke uh, 22 this new covenant. He makes it really clear what the new covenant is. It says in Luke 22 verse 20 when he's He's uh, 
partaking of Passover and converting it into the Lord's Supper, saying that he is that lamb without blemish um, that will take away the sins of the world. Verse 20 says this, after breaking the bread and giving it to his disciples, says, likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, this is the cup, or this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus says that his blood is the new covenant. His blood is the new relational contract. Not anything that you bring to the table, simply his shed blood. Stone tablets don't make great surgical tools. But hands do. Hands are useful for surgery. And that's exactly what God says he does. He says that he takes his hand and he writes his very self into your heart, into your spirit, to be received simply by faith alone. Now, we want to spend some time responding to this. Um, And I have two ways for you to respond today. Uh, One is... Um, if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, whether you're, you feel like your faith is weak, whether you feel like you are, are struggling and whatever, but the, the faith is there, you trust in Jesus, you need the bread and cup more than any of us right now. Don't let yourself not go to the table because you feel like you've not been uh, living up to God's standard. Um, he invites you to come and be reminded that his body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you, Right, just like we need food and drink to nourish us and keep us going, that you can't go a day without eating, you shouldn't go weeks without eating. So Jesus says, my body, my blood, that's the real food that you need. And I've given it for you, I'm right here. And so in just a moment, um, I'm gonna invite us to engage the Lord's Supper. But then also, if you're here and you would say, look, I'm here, but I'm not a follower of Christ, um, what we would uh, invite you to, if you would like to, if you've, if you've felt God speaking to you, um, if you're interested in Jesus, then we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. Um, and so myself and a couple of others will be right over here, uh, just uh, past the speaker during the time of communion, if you would like to come and talk about taking a next step with Jesus um, or simply be prayed for because you, you think God might be doing something in you. Um, and you don't identify as a Christian, we would love to just pray with you. Um, So if that's you, we invite you to go over there and join a few of our staff members. And then if you're here, and again, you're you're a follower of Christ, and you are just ready to go partake of the Lord's Supper, what I'm going to invite us to do is do this in groups today. And so what that's going to look like is just to turn with two, three, four people around you, um, and we have a, a prompt on the screen to just kind of get us remembering Christ whether it's something specifically from Hebrews 8, something that God was speaking to you just in the last 30 minutes, or whether it's something that's just coming to mind, it's completely uh, separate. Right now, what amazes you about Jesus? So what we're going to do is just take a few moments with a handful of people around you and just share on that. And if you don't want to share, you do not have to. But we still encourage you to just listen and be a part of a group. And when everyone's had a chance to share in the group, then you can go to the back. And we have two, uh, we have two tables, and both tables um, have prepackaged, if you'd like to use that. And we also have the bread and the cup, to where you take the bread and you dip, the cup, uh, dip it in the cup. Remembering that this is the body of Christ broken for you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you.
So let's feast on Christ in our hearts by faith and be thankful. We are so glad you joined us today. If you would like to stay connected with us, visit our website at antiochbhm.com, where you can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to speak with someone about what was shared today, please email us at info at antiochbhm.com. Go in peace.